Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Coomer, it is a wonderful, fantastic, great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan, and I'm pretty sure I just woke up my wife with that one. The first time the episode will ever get shut down before it even gets started because you couldn't tone it down a bit. Uh, apologies for the audio distortion, folks. Hummer's excited because the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball team is on a four-game winning streak. We are one game away, Hummer. I'm not sure you know this. We're one game away from matching John Brannon's longest winning streak with the Cincinnati Bearcats. They had a five-game winning streak last year, up to four right now. And as of this moment, the Bearcats' next chance to tie that five-game winning streak will be against Houston next Sunday, unless they slip in, you know, a COVID reschedule. But I'm excited. Bearcats had the 25-day pause, and they have come back roaring. And maybe that's a liberal interpretation of what you would define as roaring, given that all of these games are nail biters. All of them are close. It's not like, uh, I don't know if it looks completely like a different brand of basketball, but it's winning. And that is a major difference from what we saw pre COVID pause when the Bearcats were three and seven, we're now back to 500. Look, I kind of want to start this off by asking you just generally how you're feeling about the Bearcats on this four game heater. Well, I didn't think that's where you were taking it when you said one game away from matching his, his longest streak. I thought you were going to go his longest losing streak of the season in wins, <laughs> a five game losing streak. We're now on a four game win streak. And if I'm not mistaken, if we can pull off a miracle upset at Houston one week from today on February 21st, that will probably be the highest profile win for the basketball team under John Brandon's uh, tenure. Yeah. I mean, it'd be the biggest one they've had since beating. Um, I mean, the Tennessee win last year was pretty big. That was a, that was a, it was a home I mean, game. Top, I'm talking like top 10 ranked opponent on the road. You know, I think the last time, yeah. I, don't quote me on this. I'm sure it's happened before this. Um, Cause I'm going all the way back to Syracuse when, when we were in the big East and beating Syracuse, uh, you know, in, in the tournament, just going absolutely ham over that. But now I'm ecstatic about this four game win streak. I am over the moon enjoying the bath, the brand of basketball I've seen at least over the last two games. Um, I, I'm almost lost for words at how excited I am about what I'm seeing on the court. And that's so that's interesting. And that's what I think we should get into because I just remember how we felt pre COVID pause. And I don't know if I recall, I mean, I probably have to go back to 2007, 2008 to find people as down on UC basketball as they were uh, at the, at the beginning of January. Sorry. She's definitely awake. (laughs) It's Valentine's day. You're going to have to get spanked. I'm sorry. Edit, edit (laughs) edit the podcast. Um, Real quick, some let me let me clean this up a bit because I hate when I do the I ruined ruined your mojo there. Yeah, but I also did the bad host thing where I didn't even tell people exactly what happened since we last spoke. So everyone knows that we we came back from COVID, we beat Temple 63-60 at their place. 
Then we played at Tulane, 64-61, another victory. Since then, we've played two more games. Um, and that was after our Memphis game got postponed. Memphis, we were supposed to play at Memphis. Uh, that game gets postponed for COVID reasons related to Memphis. They quickly reschedule another Temple game. That happened on uh, the 12th of February. Beat them 71-69. And then another nail-biter on Sunday, Valentine's Day, the 14th of February, 69-68. And that's what brings us to this four-game winning streak conversation. Because I here's where I'm at, Hummer. I think if we think back to the beginning of January losing basketball then for 25 days and how we felt about that three and seven record. We were in a state of, of absolute devastation and mourning of what UC basketball has become. And once the COVID pause happens, once we find out how bad it's been, how players have been in isolation, there's been no five on five full court practices. Look, you're going to have to lower the bar. I mean, we had a podcast about, how to lower expectations the rest of the season and, and how we would be watching these games. I don't think we ever in our wildest dreams imagined coming back and ripping off four games in a row. Yet, I feel like there's still not necessarily a level of excitement or it just seems like there's always, I'm always hearing reasons why we shouldn't be excited about what's happening. It seems like you feel differently. You seem thrilled by what you're seeing, not just in the wins, but what you're seeing on the court too. I'm excited about what I'm seeing on the court from the cats in particular, the last two games with UCF and temple. What I'm talking about is go to the box score. You know, the final score in my opinion, doesn't actually tell the stories of these games. Maybe UCF a little more because face it, they've dropped 40% from uh, almost or 36%, 37% from three point land. They were, they were just raining threes all day. We would get a break. We'd pull ahead. They drain a three. They were making contested threes. Nothing can do about it. But Temple, I wasn't seeing that game as close as it is on the box score. That was a game where we felt in control the entire time. We had a couple bad breaks at the end with a, a, a phantom foul uh, on a three-point attempt by by Mason Madsen. You know, it allows Temple to bring it bring it in close again. I'm just what I'm seeing is is from these box scores. Look at the contributions from all the players. These are they're playing like a team. They're, the offense isn't really stagnating. Where earlier in the season we would go, you know, five, six, seven, eight minute stretches of just absolutely nothing happening. This I'm going to force feed the ball down into Chris vote until we we bleed from our eyes and, and lose consciousness. Where we're not really like yes, Chris vote is still getting the minutes in these last two games, but he's actually being effective in them. With Temple, he comes in with six blocks. Doesn't you know he doesn't really do too much on the rebounding side of the ball, but he was a presence down low and he disrupted them all game. Today he came in with seven rebounds. He was the second leading rebounder on the team. Had a couple of nice assists. You know what I mean? So they're not force feeding him the ball. I think when he's getting the ball down there, he's being effective with it. But it's not like it's it's a high usage in in that term. And they're also his defense seems to have picked up a bit. He seems to be getting to the right places at the right time. So he's just playing well right now. I, I can't fault him too much. And, and so what I'm, what I'm personally seeing is just a team that's playing like a team. They're playing unselfish. That, that's what I'm seeing. They're kicking it out to an open man. They're, they're looking for an open shooter. You got David DeJulius playing ISO, a la James Harden. I mean, he's just, he's just destroying teams right now. And that's particularly what I'm loving is if you go back to 
Tulane and Temple the first the first two games back, we basically had to have a player. We had to have the the Keith Williams game. We had to have the David the Julius game. These last two games, no one had to have that game. It was everybody played the game, and that's really what I'm loving is that we're we're starting to play a brand. We're that's a brand of basketball. That's an identity there. An unselfish team that plays hard on defense. I love it. That's that's good feedback. That's good insight. I largely agree with with many of the things you said. Um, I, before we really dive right, into let's, the let's stats, let's get into what you don't agree with here. All right. No, no, no. But I I, I want to dive into some of the stats and what we're seeing and and how lineups are being played. And I think some of that's hard to evaluate when, especially when you consider it's been ten days since we came back. And for the first two games when the Bearcats played, we didn't have a full roster. We were still playing walk-ons. Um, Mamadou Diara and Zach Harvey still weren't playing basketball. So we're only now two games in since the pause with the full lineup. And you have to factor in that the guys who just came back, Harvey and, and Dew, definitely don't have the practices and or uh, wind under their belts to probably get significant minutes. Like, Or if you criticize it, that's the excuse, is COVID. Um, what I've noticed, though, and this is just speaking anecdotally, the team has a different vibe since the return. It seems it, I would say there were moments pre pre pause. We'll call it pre pause that the team. You mean <laughs> menopause? Nope, I do not mean that. I mean pre COVID pause. I mean pre pre uh, large long break from playing basketball. Um, but no, I think there was. I think there were moments before that when the team's three and seven. When the, there was, there's moments that just seemed like we didn't know what yeah. we were doing, and 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 there was moments of of apathy. I don't know that the queen, the team plays hard, right? I, I I really don't question that the team plays hard, but it just didn't seem like there was all a lot of buy-in in terms of how they were playing basketball. There was a lot of uncertainty, and I think from that uncertainty came lots of turnovers, lots of fouls on defense. And since they've come back and these last two games in particular, you know, the turnover numbers aren't amazing, but they're better than they were. UCF, 13 turnovers against them. Temple, 14 turnovers against them. Against UCF, only 13 fouls committed. That's a huge accomplishment for this team. That's unheard of for this team. And then against Temple, it was 20 fouls, which frankly is, is way too many when you consider how abhorrent that officiating crew was. And so maybe the thing that has me most excited about the team is that there does seem to be a legitimate enthusiasm on the court. You see guys celebrating, getting emotional, getting each other pumped up. You know, we always saw it from Jeremiah Davenport. He's a given in terms of energy on the court, but you're seeing DeJulius clearly assert himself as, as the head of the snake. I'm going to be the leader of this team. I am the driving force behind whether we win or lose games. I mean that he is the guy for this team. And at the most crucial moments, he again and again and again is asserting his will defensively and offensively. Um, I love to see it. That's been the biggest change to me is just anecdotally. I know I, I usually don't like speaking to this stuff, but to me, it's felt different, different since we've come back. It's just so hard to argue with you sometimes. No, that's, that's basically it. It feels like we've come back with, it, for lack of a better word, identity. They're, they they kind of have an idea of what they, they know what they want to do. The Julius is the floor general. 
He's going to go out there and he's going to direct traffic. He's going to make things happen, whether he's going to score himself. Like I loved it today. He actually had to, I think at one point he may have had to explain what the definition of ISO is because he was telling the whole team, like, get back to the baseline. Like (laughs) they're going to play me like this. Let me, let me drive it. You know? And that's the stuff we want to do. We also want to see is we want to see him out there, you know, telling guys what we're going to do. Um, so that's great. I also think it's great that we're seeing Micah Adams Woods picking it up the last couple of games. You know, he's been phenomenal. I think that's where we were kind of questioning the the starting of, of Mike Saunders Jr. And I think it was just to kind of maybe give give Mike Adams Wood a change up. Um, well, let's he, talk about let's talk about that because I don't think we actually have talked about that on the podcast. I think when we watched the first two games, we basically judged nothing because they're the first two games we didn't have a full roster who knows who knows who's in what shape coming back from from the break and that's why Keith Williams didn't even start the first game back I mean that lineup was so funky and weird uh, but now here we are and, and and Mike Saunders does continue to start it's it's one of the most curious decisions Brandon is making I think because Saunders in my opinion if we're just watching play on the court at this point he has been probably the weak point on the team to be fair um his jump shot's not there. He, he, he does not trust it. He will not take it. He is not a threat from the outside. Um, he has struggled with turnovers. Now, granted, he's not turning the ball over at the same rate since we've come back, but this is something that we've seen throughout the season. He hasn't been on the court long enough since we've come back to turn the ball right. over. He's, I know. He's so, start, he started, but the one, one start against Tulane, he had a couple. He had a uh, – I don't even know if he had one against – I think he had one against – yeah, he had one against Temple. He came back, but – he started basically the first four minutes of first temple, a second temple game. We went down what nine two, ten two, and nine two. Yeah, we fell down nine two to temple, and and that's where I'm kind of. I, don't I think get he it. Came back in after that, though. I think he was, you know. No, he was a DNP the rest of the way. So it's interesting to start a player that could potentially be a DNP the rest of the way going forward. So it tells me, Brandon most certainly wants to see Mike Saunders Jr. get minutes on the court because you know the best way to learn is trial by fire get on the court and, and see what it's like and get some minutes. My, my qualm would be, why are we starting them against the team's best lineup? Like any, any team you go against, they're generally going to play their best starting five, their best five players at the start of a game. And you're, and you're kind of putting Mike Saunders in a play, in a situation uh, where he's maybe not set up to succeed rather than going against second units. And in addition to that, when you put Mike Saunders Jr. and Chris Vote on the lineup in the lineup at the same time, absolutely two two non-shooters full stop and so the lane gets a little bit more packed there's a little bit less space for Keith Williams for David DeJulius and and those things matter so I I'd love to hear Brandon's explanation for why he's making that decision we can surmise that it's likely to get Mikey some sort of experience I st- I'm still very confident he's going to get there as a player uh, point guard making the leap from high school to college or college to pros point guard is always one of the most difficult positions to do to do that because you're going up a level in play and there's so much responsibility on the point guard of a team. So Mikey will get there. Uh, that's just one of the things lineup wise that's jumped out to me here in the last couple of games. Yeah, it is baffling with the star because as much as I love Mike Saunders and look, I, I think I've said it on here. Maybe, maybe I'm going to out myself or saying it off here. Um, I've said that I want to see Mike Saunders Jr. taking more of these more open shots, but that also goes for everybody on the team. If you're open and you have a great look and it's a shot that you shoot in practice, I want you taking it. Like Zach Harvey had one against Temple where he was wide open in the corner 
And for some reason he decided to take two or three steps, three or three steps towards the, towards the paint. Um, and he ultimately, I think ended up, the play ended up in a turnover. Um, I want to see him let the thing rip. You're wide open in the corner for a three, let it rip. Um, I yeah, think that's the, also the key, that's, the key caveat there is if it's something you shoot in practice, if it's a shot you can make and, and reasonably make, then shoot it. Yeah, it's true. That's, I don't know what's not Saunders the case for, for Saunders at this point. I don't know what he's shooting in practice. So I, I don't know what, what the coach's speak is for his green light there. So, but you know, fair enough, but got a good guess. I've got a guess. You got a guess <laughs> zero. <laughs> well, it's just not, he's just not a good shooter yet. Not everybody is. Um, but it's a point. I think that's where they get that confidence. Like you, you said before, there's only one way to do it trial by fire but at the same time it has to be a good shot you can't force them but i think that's something we've done less of the last two games as a team is forcing up shots that aren't there unless we're deep into the shot clock so that that's that's there's just so much going back to your original question that i am just pumped about this freaking team right now because it seems like we're doing the little things a little better each time humor founded in 2007 Homage turns back the clock with shout-outs to eclectic moments and personalities in sports, music, and popular culture. From Barry Larkin to Kenyon Martin, Homage tells stories of triumph, individualism, and hustle, preserving the old school and creating new legacies. Pay homage at www.homage.com. And look, right now, we're coming up on one of the best holidays to be from Cincinnati, and that is National chilly day look the rest of the world they don't get it they don't understand us all right it's the world versus cincinnati you need to rep your city right now homage has skyline chili t-shirts me personally i'm looking at the i love skyline sweater that's what's gonna be coming to my house to celebrate national chili day i'm excited about it but look we also had some weird stuff happening in the world all right we had an impeachment trial. We've had The Rock coming out with a TV show. We can celebrate government by getting a Leslie Note for City Council t-shirt. I love Parks and Rec. But not only that, we have WWE Slam Rock and Sock Connection with Dwayne The Rock. Jonathan, I think I mentioned this to the show. Have you seen anything about The Rock's new show? Hummer, until you mentioned it in an ad that we did not record uh i actually had not heard of the show dude it looks incredible it's basically the rock before he became the rock or was he always the rock was he just was he born to this dad go you know what you're no longer Dwayne the rock johnson did he say that he said you're Dwayne the rock johnson that that is that's on his birth certificate right the yeah, rock in quotes the rock I yeah think the only I'm, the only middle name in the world with the in the name kind of like the bronx I would have assumed that The Rock was far too young to have this kind of show made after him. But then when you step back and think about it for a second, you know, this guy, did he grow up in Miami? I guess we'll find out on the show. But this is a guy, he's born, he becomes The Rock, and then he turns back into Dwayne Johnson. I mean, I want to I know more about this guy. I'm excited to check it out. I'll learn more about it. I'm glad you shared it with our listeners. I'm excited too. Look, you can pick up all this great gear by shopping homage online at www.homage.com and in six stores across Ohio, including their over the Rhine Vine Street location right here in Cincinnati. Or should I say right there in Cincinnati? Because I'm in Philadelphia, so everything gets shipped to me. Very quick shipping, by the way. Ordered something it got here in like three days. Perfect. Um, but right now for Cincinnati, Cincy Slang and listeners, or frankly for anybody, your friends, family, whoever you want to share the code with. If you use slangin at checkout, that's S-L-A-N-G-I-N, 
or stop in the store and say Cincy Slang and Sent You. You will receive 21% off your entire order. Go now, get your gear. Look, like I said, it's Cincinnati. This is our time to shine on the national stage because nobody likes us and we don't care, right? Get your Skyline Chili t-shirt. Yeah, the, the improvement is happening in front of our eyes. Um, there are longer stretches during these games. The first 16 minutes against UCF were outstanding. The team was executing. You saw backdoor cuts. You saw us assisting, I think, on eight of our first 11 baskets. And I think that turned into 10 of 14 by halftime. Um, ball movement was excellent. And there's a few guys that, would, I kinda, that stood out to me in this UCF game in particular. First guy I'm going to mention is Chris Vogt. And what really jumped out to me is that Chris Vote at times offensively can be a black hole. When he gets the ball, he thinks he's supposed to shoot the ball, at least before this last game or the last few games. What I saw against UCF is that when Chris Vote caught the ball in a position that was clearly, you know, not advantageous from a scoring standpoint, meaning he wasn't deep in the post, he wasn't just passing the ball. He was making a quick decision. He's catching it high post, quickly getting it out to another shooter, keeping the ball moving. Um, those types of passes are incredibly valuable to the team. And I think we saw it today against UCF, particularly in that second half. I'm sorry, in the first half. And in the second half, there was a possession. I think the first possession of that second half, I saw a play where Chris Vogt catches it, quickly quickly swings it out to a guard. It makes its way back to Keith Williams. He catches the defender kind of on his heels, makes one of those fantastic Keith Williams drives. And instead of trying to force up a difficult layup, he drops it off to Chris Vogt, draws a foul, I think ends up making one of two. That was two guys who are notoriously maybe not pass first guys, Keith Williams and Chris Vogt, who are making the extra pass, finding the guy for an easier shot to, to set up a guy to either make a play or finish a basket. And if the Bearcats start doing more of that, this team becomes that much more real. And, and the results, the winning results will continue to follow. Yeah. I mean, look. 68 69 it's close it came down to it did come down to the end but there were some things that were just extraordinary for crying out loud ucf made the final three-point heave attempt when they were down four <laughs> for crying out loud they were just hitting them and they were hitting them in big moments that they that kept them in this game you know our defense was making great stops we were down you know at one point we were up seven what's what do they do they come down and they just hit a big three so like that's where I'm saying, like you know, oh well, these games are close. These games are close. Uh, I'd rather, I'd rather us lose by nine to Tennessee. Uh, you know, that that's that's better. That's better than beating these bad teams. No, it's not. It is better to beat the teams that we're supposed to beat. And the the results here, there's more to a game sometimes than the final score. We 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 go through that every single year where there's games where we're just dominant in control, but there's things that are outside of your control. Temple should not have been as close either, but there was some things that were just outside of our control at the end of that game that happened that lets Temple get back in. But what I'm loving is we, we went down 10, nine, two, whatever the heck it is. We come back, we take a 10 point lead. Temple calls her way back. We in a game, we're closing out these games too. This is something that the team was very incapable of during that five game losing stretch during the earlier part of the season, we weren't closing these close games and we were letting them get away from us on the other end. And if we go back and let's let's take a look at those five games. Tulsa, we lost six, uh, 70 to 66. UCF, we lost 75 to 70. 
Georgia was the one game that we said we got crushed, right? We just played horrible against Georgia. We had no business being in that gym at that time. South Florida, 74-71. Tennessee, we didn't let that game get away from us until late either. So we were in all these games, but we weren't able to close. And I think a lot of it has to do is we didn't have this identity. We didn't, we weren't playing basketball in an unselfish way. I'm seeing help on the defensive side of the ball right now. It's incredible watching. I can't believe I'm saying this watching Chris vote today, being in the right place at the right time, like watching him go and play the double team, but he was being cautious of who is on his backside, where that, the, where that offensive player was and getting back into position instead of like lingering on the, on the double team. He was getting back into position when they were going to make that swing pass. And that's the kind of stuff, like that's the little stuff. That's the difference between winning a game against Temple and losing a game to Tennessee or UCF back in that five-game stretch. Those are the little things that I'm seeing that, to me, shows that this team is, is taking a step forward. Um, we, were, we, we thought we were on the verge of it anyway, I think, when we were emerged from that five-game losing streak. But I think now we're actually seeing it because we're playing basketball. Yeah, before we even came back from the break, the two of us, I think, were exp- what we were sort of commiserating about was this team was sort of turning the corner before we had the pause. There were signs against, obviously, the SMU game stands out. That was, to me, the best performance of the season. Um, Wichita State, the second half was abysmal, but the first half, I mean, that's a six point loss on the road against one of the better teams in the conference. And then there were signs in, in games before that with Tulsa, USF. USF. The point is, we were operating with such a fine margin during the, that three and seven start. Sure, I mean, that's a terrible record and it stood out and it sucked. And we were all miserable watching this team flounder and not close games. And the point is, not much has really changed from a style of play standpoint. In fact, John Brandon, since coming back, has gone back to the standard John Brandon lineup. He's leaning heavily on Chris Vote to a point that I'm still a little bit uncomfortable with. But Chris Vogt's been more effective defensively. And we don't know the con, you know, we don't know the true reasons behind why Tari Eason's getting less minutes, you know, aside from the fact that he is committing fouls at an alarming rate. Um, it's hard to stay on the court when you commit fouls, um, as Keith Williams can can attest to. But the point is the team has cleaned up a few things marginally, a few less turnovers. You know, I think the two lane game is the one where they they still struggle with turnovers, but otherwise. These three games, we're looking at 13, 13, 14 turnovers. Is that great? No. But is it better? Yes. And then they start fouling a little bit less. So these major issues are starting to get slightly cleaned up. And in doing so, the Bearcats are now seeing these close games go in their favor. And that's why it's silly. It's silly. After going, after starting this damn season, three and seven, we go on a four-game win streak. And if anyone out there is going to complain about not blowing teams out, come on. We were three and seven. This team went on a 25-day COVID pause. What? We're not talking blowout. Like this team, I want to win basketball games. However, let me put that in perspective. Let me put that in greater perspective for you. 25-game pause or 25-day pause. The losing streak expanded 26 days. That means we had 51 days without a victory in the mid, in some way, shape, or form in the middle of the season. Say that again. How many days? Say that again. 51 days without a victory. Right. 
That's that's incredible. So We've we come back and win four year. in a row, Hummer. We win four games in a row. The last thing I'm going to do is worry about the margin of victory because, frankly, the games were already close. So all our goal really should be, we shouldn't be going from being three and seven, losing games, to then winning games and blowing teams out. That's not how this works. If we're going to get better, you go from close games and losing to close games and winning. And in these in this four-game win streak, that's exactly what we've done. And that's why instead of you know me whining and moaning about what lineup rotations are, are happening, which, by the way, I've done to myself. It's happened in my head. I, I, was I know. Count- I've, I had to talk you off the cliff. I about, was counting about- the minutes of Chris, that Chris Vogt played in the second half. I admit to it. But nonetheless, we're winning. And that's all that really matters. I'm so much happier when the Cincinnati Bearcats are winning basketball games. Look, the here's here's a takeaway. Anybody wants to take anything away? We can now finally nitpick the things that are good that are happening on the court because there was a lot. There was a time where we said that that's all we're going to have the rest of the season is to look for incremental improvements and not worrying about the results as much. Well, look, not only do I, I'm still kind of in that mode in a sense. We're going to get to what how I think my expectations for this team are changing because I think it's a very fluid situation. Uh, but at the same time, like if I'm not worrying about the results and I'm just looking at the play on the court, I got so many things to say. Like you, you brought up SMU, uh, SMU being the best game you've seen all year. Once again, go to the box score. We had contributors all over the place. Eason, 14. Davenport, 18. Mike Adams-Wood, 14. Keith Williams, 12. Zach Harvey, 13. DeJulius had a, a down game there, but he had 12 assists and two points. 12 assists. Let that number stand out to you. That is called contribution, a team effort. When this team plays as a team and not as individuals, they play so much better. And that's where I think that we what we have seen, and I think that is what gets me excited to saying, look – it's going to be a very tough game next Sunday. I would not be putting money in Vegas on the cast to win. I might put money on us to cover. What about in Indiana? Would you do it in Indiana? <laughs> <laughs> or Jersey. I guess I could just go to Jersey. Or Jersey. Go to Vegas. But wait, I'm in Pennsylvania. We can can, I, can I take you back to that SMU game? Because I want, to, I want to clarify why I think that was the most impressive performance and why I think we should go back to that performance Um we're because going to want Chris to call back because, a, because Chris O played eight minutes. Is that why? Well, somewhat, <laughs> somewhat that, that version of the Bearcats is the version that has the highest upside because in that game, you saw Tari Eason play 25 minutes and you saw him score 14 points, four blocks, one steal, five boards. You saw Jeremiah Davenport, 31 minutes, scored 18, 10 rebounds. You saw Micah Adams Woods play 30 minutes, 14 points. That's the third straight player I've, I've talked about with, with double-digit scoring, and then two steals, two assists, four boards. David DeJulius put up only two points in that game. So this is David DeJulius not looking to score at this point. 12 assists, nine, nine rebounds. rebounds. He almost had he, a double-double without scoring. Keith Williams, 12 points, four assists, 14 shots, which isn't completely out of whack with the rest of the team. And then you had a bench score in Zach Harvey at 13 points. That team was leaning on the athleticism, leaning on the skill sets of our most athletic players, which have the most defensive upside. And so if you're a Bearcat fan and you've watched us go on this four-game winning streak, which with, frankly, the old-school John Brannon, you know, run it through Chris Vote more than most fans want to see us do it, hey, that's why there's upside on the rest of the season. 
Tari Eason's going to come back. Like his game's going to come around. His foul rate's going to go down. He's going to be very productive for the Bearcats again. Zach Harvey getting back into game shape. This dude's going to get buckets for us. The upside is there. And so when you look at some of the most talented players on our team and that they haven't even really done all that much during this four game win streak, when they're clicking and the minutes distribution gets back to maybe what it should have been and what we see in SMU and, and, and those games, I mean, that's where maybe we actually talk about beating teams by more than two or three points. Look, that's, that's a great point with SMU, and that's what takes me back to the Temple game of what I'm liking about it. Granted, we didn't have 22 assists. Uh, David Joyce did not have 12 assists that game. Still had a decent game, but what I like about Temple, there were spurts of almost on the verge of genius uh, in terms of passing and, and the vision that players were, were showing on the court. Uh, Mason Madsen, I think that was maybe one of the first games I think he, he got. No, he had significant minutes in, in Tulane as well. Um, but he, he, he had a couple just passes that were just dimes where he's almost pulling that Larry Bird, I'm not looking, I got the one hand and I'm throwing it off to the guy in the corner. Or, you know, a, a cutting, a backdoor cutting Mamadou Diara. Um, but we were seeing passes like that from, from a lot of the team where they were just, they were good good passes with open open shot opportunities that led to good creative offense now because look you can pass the ball all you want we've, we've seen this we've seen this we've seen this game before where we sit outside the three-point arc and we pass the ball from one side of the court back to the other we do that two or three times and then the shot clock winds down and we take a contested three we've all seen that we've all seen that game where we see where you have to just drive into the basket and take a contested uh, contested layup and get called for a charge. We've all seen that. That doesn't, that, that didn't happen this game. It didn't happen in UCF. It didn't happen in Temple. It didn't happen at SMU. That's the Bearcats that I want to see. And that's what I want to see going, continue to see going forward. When you get all these guys clicking and everybody's capable of scoring, you, I'm sorry, Houston, we don't have just a problem. We have a bunch of problems. I love it. You're ready to conquer Houston. You're ready to head down south <laughs> and conquer the top 10 team in the country. I think here, I feel good. I want to see, I I feel... see, see us compete against the top team in the country is what I want to see. I want to see this team play Absolutely. Up a good game. I want to see them not lapse back into only three guys having a good game. I don't want to see them lapsing into turning the ball over every time we go down the, you know, turning the ball over 15, 20 times, 20 times a game. You know, I want to see those turnovers hover around that. We know we know the mark is if we turn the ball under over less than ten times a game we win. That's that's always that's always that's everybody's you know game plan, right? For well, this yeah. team, we got to keep it under we got to keep it under fifteen to be honest. That doesn't even guarantee a win. That just guarantees us, I think, being competitive. Yeah, we have to keep our fouls and, and turnovers down below just what, a level that loses you games. That's why we that's why we were three and seven. Is when you're turning it over more than fifteen times, and when you're uh, when you're fouling 23 plus times a game, I mean, that's going to lose you games when you give up free points, uh, both in transition, but also at the free throw line recipe for disaster. That's what we did again and again and again and again and again. And it's exactly why we were so frustrated with Brandon and the coaching staff, like fix it, just fix this one thing. And somehow, some way they've come back and somewhat gotten it under control. It is trending. If we're watching the trend line, which mean you like, we like talking about trend lines. 
if you if you watch it, it's going in the right direction, and and that's a good sign for the Bearcats. Um, one thing I think you mentioned something earlier. I want to make sure I'm reiterating it as one of his harshest critics. But Chris Vogt's defense, for as many minutes as he's getting, he's been really solid. Like relative to what he can do defensively and what he offers up, especially with fresh legs, he was tempo. I don't have to say any more than six blocks. I mean, he was challenging at the rim. Help side defense was incredible against UCF. I would say for first half of the game overall, really solid. I, I thought he actually wore down a little bit as the game went on. He, he ended up getting 29 minutes and he was slow on rotations toward the end of that game. That's why I think you'll start seeing Tari, you know, even out those minutes a little bit, you'll start seeing Mamadou probably, you know, get five to seven or so. And, and if Chris vote can bottle up that energy, that energy of, make quick passes when it's not there, when it is there, lay that damn ball in. And then otherwise crash the boards and be a true help side defender. Like it's just, just be a tough big man. That's it. And he's done that well, the last couple games in particular. So if we can somehow, some way get that Chris vote for the last six, six plus games of the year, the Bearcats are, are better for it. All I gotta say is right now, Chris Vogt just keeps keep doing what you're doing. I mean, that's all that's all I want to see. Don't when he doesn't try to do too much, it's better on 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 the offensive side of the glass. So other than that, I think I think he's been he's been exactly what we need him to be. Even in the games, I pointed this out when we talked. Uh, I don't know if we did talk about it for Justin Williams, uh, but we played. I think it was Tulane, and Chris Vogt had 16 minutes. He scored six points. But he was uh, he was effective. We didn't force the ball through him. Still, great. You know, there's going to be times where yes, you ha- you want to throw the ball down low if he's in good position. Um. So uh, he just needs to keep doing what he's doing. If he's doing this, he'll be he's and he's being effective and he's he's not missing the the defense. We said this. You said this all season. He's a liability on defense. When he is not being a liability on defense, it's great. It's great when when he can actually be disruptive down low and in the paint when you're not giving guys easy drives to the basket. Like Chris Vote needs to be in the paint on defense. Like that's that's where he needs to be. Rotate to rotate to a double team. Rotate back into the center of the paint. Make sure no one gets an easy drive. Yeah, but the problem is there are teams out there that can force him out of the paint on defense. And when that happens, we're in trouble. So we always it happened talk, a lot today. Look, we he talk was, way too much about him. Honestly, we talk way too much about him on the podcast and. Uh, there's a couple other guys worthy of recognition. He's so, he's I, so polarizing. Well, yeah, I know it's, it's, <laughs> I can't stop. I'm not saying I'm not blaming you. Trust me. I'm more of the problem. I can't stop talking about him, thinking about him. If only, if only uh, he, he had a, if only he was on Twitter, like monster. <laughs> <laughs> uh, someone worth mentioning who's now legitimately solidified into the rotation in a big way. Mason Madsen. You quickly alluded to him earlier in the podcast, but we need to, to throw some kudos his way. Quickly becoming a fan favorite. And I'd say first and foremost, it's because the guy can hit a free throw. And UC fans are desperate to embrace someone who can knock down a free throw with some level of consistency, especially at the end of games. Brandon has started using him as a specialist in those cases. Uh, but otherwise, he's obviously a threat from the outside. Hit another three against UCF. Starting to put it on the floor a little bit, had a couple nice drives, willing passer, doesn't make a lot of mistakes. What do you think? You you liking what you're seeing from Mason? So here here's what I will will laugh about because we I think this is 
we're we're going to see the average go up, but we are right now technically gushing over a free throw percentage of sixty six point seven percent. I'm glad you pointed that out because he actually has missed free throws in both of these games, but it's how but he I, shoots them. Like you should have so confidently, we're just going to look past the misses. We know it's going to, we know it's coming around because he shoots them like he knows he's going to make them. You know what I mean? So it's like, we have a small sample size. We technically don't have enough of a sample size to actually even consider this a, a proper uh, poll, a proper, a, a proper sample size where a guy like the Julius who has, attempted 31 and made 25 has a proper sample size to justify him being called an 80% free throw shooter. And frankly, um, Mason's not the first guy I want shooting free throws that that belongs to Micah Adams woods. Put it this he way is, though. He's you're wrong. You're Micah wrong. In John cold. Brandon's eyes, there's something that they see in practice because when we had that technical foul against temple, who did John Brandon put up on the line? Who else was on the court at the time? I don't remember, but he put Mason Madsen up. Well, yeah, but it depends on who was on the court. I'm just saying he put me. He he entrusted his freshman to go out there and make free throws. I'm just saying put some put some respect on my man Micah Adams Woods' name and recognize that he has as not dating back to last year. I was going to say he's cold blooded at the free throw line. He is 86. Cool. Yeah, that is the true knockdown free throw shooter we need. But it's nice to see a freshman so confident and he's very expressive on the court, willing to do a little bit of taunting, very sure of himself. I like it. I, I mean, I like it. Um, I love Mason Madsen's, Mason Madsen's uh, vibe on the court. A la Jeremiah Davenport's freshman season swagger. I think, yeah, I think I was on Twitter. I put up there. He's oozing it. And I, I did a picture of a glazed donut. Just, just oozing sweet deliciousness. Um, Mike saw, or <laughs> I didn't actually understand what you meant when you posted that. I will admit no, he, just, just, he was just oozing confidence, dripping just, glaze from a donut. Okay. Dripping with confidence, oozing, oozing with, confidence, just okay. oozing confidence everywhere all oozing. over the court. Right. Oozing, oozing. <laughs> no, uh, dude, he's really good. I love him. His attitude is amazing. His confidence. And just when he just goes out there, should I say is moxie? Is there another word? What can we pull out a thesaurus here for, uh, for confidence? Uh, it's great. Look, I want to see him get his free throw shooting up into the 80% too, because then I think this will be the first time in a while that we actually have potentially three player, four players who could be uh, above 80% free throw shooters. We need to require also, like before we give him too many kudos as the knockdown free throw shooter, he has to have has that percentage to. up. Like we can't really give him the, the credit yet until it goes up higher. I think a sample size is like, I don't remember what it is. I should know this. I'm, I'm in school right now. I think it's proper sample size is actually 20, uh, at least 20, uh, opportunities 20 yep, attempts he's, he's had 12 okay. um so we gotta get him out there i was gonna say mike saunders needs 10 more too because then he's a bona fide 80 percent shooter and then we have four on this team <laughs> you want mike saunders jr going to the line with the game on the line no okay uh, i definitely want mike adams was to do that you know who i don't want going to the line though this is gonna sound awful with the game on the line i don't want keith williams going to the line I trust Keith still. I really do. With the game on the line, clutch moments, I still I still trust trust Keith. Yeah, I, I don't trust him on the free throw line. What's the power rankings? Game on the line. Let's say it's it's not just to let's say we have a lead, right? We're trying to we're trying to preserve a four point lead, and so we're up two. Team fouls us. We're sending a guy to the line to, for a one and one. It's a one and one opportunity to preserve. We right now have a two point lead. We're trying to extend that to four. But if they go one of two, we're at three. Who is the who's your first pick 
to go to the free throw line for the Bearcats. Well, let, let me let me ask this question here since we're getting deep into scenarios here. Is this a scenario where they're going to foul us as soon as we catch the ball? Yes. So whoever they're, whoever they're going it, to foul us, they're going to force us to the line with the one and one. Who's who's the first? So basically, pick? we have we have hands team out there. Uh, I want my first person to be open to be Micah Adams Woods. I want to I get agree. him the ball first. That's a consensus. So a Cincy slang and consensus is the the number one option late game need need free throws one and one Micah Adams Woods. But now let's let's take the scenario back a little bit. Let's say there's still a minute thirty left on the clock. Why are you doing it's, this? Come on. Why? Because <laughs> I know where this is going. Because at the end of the like you're gonna have a guy where where we still need a bucket. But if he gets found, you want him to make those shots. I think that's where, honestly, I, I want the ball to be in the Julius' hands over Keith Williams. Because the Julius... Okay, like Keith that's Williams, fine. Keith that's Williams, a different question, though. Like, with yeah. needing a bucket is a different conversation. I'm talking needing free throws. We're power-ranking the free throws. Well, one I'm, also, one. I'm also doing it with the Julius, too, because he has the ability on the ISO, but then also if he does get fouled, he shoots 80%. All right, but let's not change the conversation. Let's talk about the free throws. One and well, one. I'm telling you, I don't want it to be Keith Williams. As We're my... power rankings this. So it's Micah Adams-Woods. Who's second in line? Oh, I'm seeing Julius. how many guys are you going to actually take before you get to Keith Williams? So you're taking to Julius number two? Yeah. One and one? I'm I'm not. I'm going. I'm, not I'm going. Him. I'm going. I'm going. Keith Williams, number three. He's number no, three. No, 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 no. I'm going Mason Madsen, number two. I'm, I'm going Mason Madsen. I'm I got projecting, the numbers here. I'm projecting outward that J, that Mason Madsen's going to be a really good free throw shooter. So I want him number two. I'm going. I think I'm going with with Keith Williams, number three, over David Julius. I wouldn't do that. Numbers don't lie. What's Keith Williams' free throw percentage right now? Sixty-seven percent. What's David David Julius? 80%. All right. All right. I want Keith we, Williams to work his way up there. He's not there yet, but so we're David DeJulius number three, Keith Williams number four. Keith, come on, man. Get up the list. I want you to be our third option. Yeah, as as of right now, I mean, if we if if we're if we're projecting out, he's the fourth option. Uh, Mason Madsen, if we're projecting out, I think would would be higher. Um, but Keith Williams is also we've seen him miss free throws late late in the game. He's just not he's not ice. It's not his game. Free throws aren't his style, aren't his jam. It's okay. I mean, it's not okay. They're free throws, but <laughs> they're not LeBron's either. It's okay, Keith. I mean, did I just here's one Keith? thing though? Keith Keith Williams does get a lot of free throw attempts though. The, yes. the closest guy to him is is Dave DeJulius with thirty one attempts. Keith Williams, seventy attempts on the season. Oh, the guy is if he he's can a figure out fouls. a way to to tighten up the footwork, avoid some of these offensive fouls, he would get to the line with ease. And as I mentioned earlier, a couple episodes ago, he has so many opportunities to create layups for his teammates. And I think today, or against UCF, we really saw that. So hopefully, a sign of things to come. Hummer, let's kind of wrap it up there. We're really excited about the team. That's evident how we just talked about them. Wait, we're just, just going to wrap it up. We're going to. No, 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 no. We're not just wrapping it up. I want to know if you're evaluating, if you're changing how you're evaluating this team moving forward. Now that we've had a four game win streak, we're back to 500. Um, we're going to have, you know, we theoretically are about to have a week off. So that means when we face Houston, our team is going to be full strength. Everyone's going to be back to practicing. Everyone's you mean, in shape. Wait, wait, wait. You mean we're going to have time to, uh, uh, what, what do people say? Prepare? prepare Practice, for the game? prepare. I Guys are going to be in to, shape. Wanna, no excuses. Wanna, no lineup excuses. I want to, I want to, I want to attack that real quick though. 
people were, were, were saying, I think that they, they were talking about <laughs> temple. Oh, they didn't have time to repair. We played temple like eight days before this game, that game. Like they knew what we were playing already. They knew like the, we don't have that. Isn't they knew. This isn't football. They knew. This isn't a football matchup where you're literally scheming against different defenses and sets. It's zone defense. It's there's only so many versions of zone that a team's going to run. There's only one type of man to man that you're going to run. Maybe, but we're not going to get into the minutia. Either way, there is no excuse in this. That's like saying, oh, every time we've lost in the NCAA tournament in the second round, it's because we didn't get to prepare for the game. <laughs> like, I know in basketball, this isn't football folks. All right. You roll the ball out. You jump, you jump ball, tip it off, tip off. You tip, you tip the ball off. I think you pass it. You shoot it. We've been playing basketball. That's what they've been doing. They've been coming out here. What they say? They've been hooping. They've just been hooping. They've been playing good. They've been having fun doing it. So it's a lot of fun. And so, yes, I am actually evaluating the team a little differently now because when we were coming out of the break, we're saying, well, we're going to have to judge the rest of the season on the curve, which I still think the curve is still there. I just think I thought we were, we were maybe talking about we would be lucky to be 500. And I'm legitimately thinking we're going to potentially only lose two more games this season during the regular schedule. Uh, we're going to beat Tulsa. We're going to beat Tulane. We're going to beat East Carolina. So that leaves us Houston, Memphis, and SMU. And we potentially another makeup game. And in a potentially another makeup game, but barring that no makeup game, we will beat win one of those three games against Houston, Memphis, or SMU. We will beat win one of those games and we will finish the game, the season out with no more than two losses, not including conference play conference tourney play. I think this is shaping up to be a 500 team entering the conference tournament, but I think we're, it's much more realistic at this point that the team is going to have a fighting chance in the tournament because at the end of the day, there's tier one, which is Houston. And after that, it's everybody else. And at that point, anything could happen. Like I am not scared of any team in this conference except for Houston. I think Houston is clearly a more talented and uh, they're just a better team than everybody else at this point. And that's clear in how they've, how they've beaten down, many of the opponents in this conference, but also outside of conference as well. That's not to say we can't beat them on any given day. And, and I think it, I think it bodes well for us. They lost to Tulsa and East Carolina. Okay. And then it can be done. It can be done. No doubt. No doubt. Just as easy as, as it is for us to beat these teams, the same was true pre COVID break. So I'll just say the team feels like a 500 team and it does feel like a team that could be trending upward come conference tournament time. And that's when, uh, that's when John Brandon's going to really have an opportunity to leave a mark and, and, and make something special happen. Am I right? I think you're right. Uh, you know, I wonder if he's going to have the, you know, this is survive in advance talk guys. If we want to make the term, this is the only way we're going to do it. We have to all roads point to Houston. We're going to destroy Houston in the finals of that tournament. Or whenever we have to play them, give it to give us give it to us first round. Let us beat Houston first round. All right, far, I'm gonna. I wonder how far a victory against Houston push us up, push, pushes us up the uh, Ken Palm rankings. We're sitting at a. a oh yeah, team. that's that's got to be a ten. Ah, uh, we jump, we right? just we actually just moved up as we speak. We went from uh, ten minutes ago from one hundred 
to 99. Oh, we've been plummeting then because we, I think we were before this game, we were 88. Oh, we dipped. Uh, uh, we were at least 102, I think. Are we buying the dip? Oh, yeah. Yeah. This, is a, buy, this, is, a, this is a buy the dip team. I just told you we're going to win one of the games against Houston, Memphis, and SMU. And we're, we're winning out. We're not losing another game after that. Ken Palm is so funky and, and just wacky this year. This team was I, losing games consistently, and yet we hovered in the, I think, 70s for a while, 60s even. And I think this is now we're, we've come back one four in a row, and we're down to 100. I don't think this is a year you can actually look at Ken Palm. The only reason I like looking at Kempom is because some of the advanced stats that they have, but the fact that they adjust it for quote unquote, your, your you know, not just the strength of schedule, but they're trying to take into court into account home court advantage and stuff like that. Kempom is not a reliable ranking system this year. I think because of that, uh, even though I would actually say they probably have us right about where we should be. Uh, this is look, this team hasn't earned, they have not earned any respect this year. So they still have to earn it. I feel like that's what Ken Palm is this year is a respect meter. Uh, it's not an accurate ranking. Uh, <laughs> like that, a respect meter. Right now yeah. we're the the 100th most respected team in the country. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, that's deserved. It's, it's deserved. <laughs> uh, so, no, that's what I say. Like, Ken Palm, I wouldn't take too much stock into it this year because, look, it, it's so wonky that – can't believe I'm bringing this up. Um, you got an 11 and three Xavier team down at number 52. Uh, and then you got like, I'm trying to look at the other one. You got an 11 and nine team in Indiana at number 29. You know what I mean? Just so it's just wonky. It's, it's off this year. Hey, you got Maryland at 11 and 10 at number 35. Like, I think they put uh, they got Penn State in there at seven and ten, at number thirty-seven. Like, all right, this is definitely they definitely had the uh, the college football playoff committee. They used some of that extra money, you know, that they all got paid, and they went, "Hey, Ken Palm, go go put some of these big big programs up there." <laughs> um, yeah, I mean the the American Athletic Conference is not having a a. Uh a year to be remembered by any means, but none of that matters. All that matters is to win, survive in advance, baby, survive in advance. Yep. Hummer, should we talk about the fundraising conversation or do you want to leave that for another episode another time? You know what? Bring it on. I'm feeling frothy. I'm feeling, All right. I got, the, I got All some right. gloves. I got some and, gloves. And I don't want to go too deep into this. It's, it's not necessarily our expertise, um, but this week, just right after we talked to Justin Williams, Sure would have been nice if you would have tipped us off to that article. I won't hold it against him, especially after how I introduced him last week. But <laughs> Justin Williams, the winner of the... You know, you won that award. That award one time. It was a real good one. Your mom put it on the fridge. Um, it was blue. It was made of ribbons. It was perfect. I, I'm sending... I sent Justin flowers for Valentine's Day because of how sorry I was about that introduction. Um, but let's... I Let's talk really a little did. bit about that article. So he drops an article about the locker room update that the Bearcats football team was supposed to be getting. It was supposed to start immediately upon the conclusion of the season, which as everyone knows was on new year's day. Um, the project has not started. It was supposed to be around an $8 million update to the locker room uh, that they use on game days. That project is being scaled back to $4 million. So if we're doing the math, it has been cut in half from a size and scope standpoint. 
And uh, John Cunningham has come out and released a statement about it saying that after meeting with architects and engineers, they feel they can do a, a top-notch upgrade that's maybe less structural, um, but that'll still be you know good for the program, but it's going to reduce the cost dramatically. And if you're thinking back to his goals throughout the entire last year, it's all about cost saving. I don't know that it's this is in that same category or conversation, but nonetheless, it's interesting. It's interesting in, in terms of what does the locker room update necessarily mean? Is it still going to pop and, and resonate the same way? Or is the reduction in scope, is, is moving it from an $8 million project to a $4 million project a, a canary in the coal mine for uh, potential problems moving forward in terms of how UC operates as an athletic department. And I should mention uh, there was, you know, rumor of the team wanting to complete an, a permanent indoor practice facility. That is something that's on their radar. They're not necessarily tied directly to this. If you want to hear more about it, all the details, Justin did join the Bearcat Journal podcast. I really enjoyed that episode. Go check it out for yourself. But Hummer, I wanted to get your thoughts or lack of thoughts about this locker room update, air quotes, controversy. I guess I don't, I, I don't see the big hoopla about it or, or they getting riled up about the locker room situation. I don't know if that necessarily is what is going to, you know, keep a, a Luke fickle or, you know, why did you leave the University of Cincinnati, Luke? Well, frankly, it was because the locker room wasn't updated. Um, you know, I don't necessarily see that being it. Or why didn't you get into the Big 12 conference? Oh, because the locker room wasn't updated. Um, I, I think that's key, taking like uh, maybe the – I don't want to say it's not the big picture because I, I think the big picture here is, is a, another comment that you made um, or something that we have talked about previously in terms of fundraising uh, through the athletic department. So I think the maybe the, the big picture view here is the fact that we are having what appears to be a fundraising issue or challenge. And by that being a lack of fundraising, meaning we had a project scheduled, we had to scale it back because we didn't get enough funds to do the full, the full, you know, the full Monty here. Uh, is that because of COVID or is that because we have a first time, you know, athletic director, who get, was getting a lot of criticism and, and goes on a public tour de force through a bunch of different, you know, mediums via podcast. He went on a couple of podcasts, went on a couple of radio shows, had a feature written about him in the athletic, you know, and going and, and kind of going through this. So I don't know if that's, if it's just, maybe that's a, it's a telling sign for, for, for what is the lack of fundraising. I don't think the, the actual locker room itself is the bigger deal. Um, I think, the indoor practice facility would definitely be, you know, something maybe a little bit more appetizing for a head coach, especially in the climate that we play in. Um, you know, heck, you guys are, by the time you listen to this tomorrow, you will be in the snowpocalypse. Congratulations, Cincinnati. Welcome to what I've been dealing with the past two weeks. Um, so God, that's where you, you, you North, you're already becoming that Northeast guy. It's always, it's always gotta be bigger and more powerful and it's worse in the Northeast. Anything we do is always, you made Westerners. You don't really understand. You think you understand, but you don't understand. God, elitist, stop. You don't. Well, I mean, you know what? You know what? You know what? You Midwesterners do have. You have a way better 
football facility than Temple University. Uh, we <laughs> Congratulations. Have our, we have our own stadium. That's not uh, Paul Brown, um, or in this case, Lincoln Financial Field. Temple uh, has a community that doesn't even like the school uh, being there. They, they had plans to build a football stadium in the middle of, uh, in the middle of uh, North Philadelphia, where their current practice field is. Next, thrown out the window. Residents voted it down. Uh, protest about it. Look, at the end of the day, if Luke Fickle leaves the University of Cincinnati, it's not going to be because of the locker room. That's what it's not going to be. Luke Fickle is going to leave the University of Cincinnati after he wins us a national championship and he gets pushed by the NFL. All right, Hummer. That's you're right about that. Nobody's gonna, he's not gonna walk away from UC and say, Ugh, if only they put four million more dollars into the locker room, it would have been different. To me, it's what the locker room potentially represents. And you started hitting at it. If this is a funding issue, if you if you couldn't raise the funds, and we don't know that to be a fact. We're inferring that because it is, you know, I don't know that there, it, it didn't, Cunningham didn't explicitly say we are redirecting $4 million from this project, from project A to project B. That's not what's happening. They are just alluding to the fact that we do have our, our, our eyes set on bigger projects in the future, which include a permanent indoor practice facility. So I would, my inference from that is that they could not and, and did not have the full 8 million for this project or didn't feel confident they could get it. There's also the idea that if they do get this permanent practice facility, that would be where, you know, those would be the high frequency locker rooms and these other locker rooms would just be used on game days. And therefore, do we really need to put as much money into those? The fact we're even talking about it this way is a red flag to me. It's a red flag that this that this department has the 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 finances, the money, uh, the the network, or at least the ability to leverage the 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 fundraising network to keep a guy like Luke Fickle. Like it's amazing we have him at this point anyway. He's incredibly successful. He's incredibly attractive to bigger opportunities. Didn't we a, just get? Didn't we just get an agreement that was eighty or a hundred percent financed by donors? Like his for extension. an extension for his yeah. extension. Right. Right. But you're going to continually need more and more and more and more. And I, I just wonder, and I'm not saying it's true. I'm just speculating here. Like I just, it does seem like the kind of thing that at the end of the day, we're fighting or is this up. Being, or is this being prudent or is this being prudent? You went to your donors, you tapped them out. They gave you $4 million and you're saying, okay, well, we did have this plan. You, were, I like this when we were texting about it. You were using uh, like home ownership analogies. You know, yeah, how, how compared it, it to really what my wife and I are doing, which is like, we're not going to remodel the entire kitchen. We're not going to do anything structural. We're just going to reface the cabinets, do some painting, maybe upgrade an appliance or two. Perfect. I'm okay with them being fiscally <laughs> smart and saying, you know what? Well, we couldn't afford this $500,000. Well, we could when we both had jobs. Now one of us lost them. Now we can only afford two fifty. But the house we got still really nice. Do you know, the got- prudent do prudent schools win championships? Do prudent schools keep the best coaches for extended periods of time? We kept uh, yeah, we kept Mick Cronin. For Don't bring it. You're bringing it's not the same. We're talking no, football we, right we now. Kept, we kept, I know, but we kept Bob Huggins for how many years? We're talking Fuck football it. right now, Hummer. I get that, but fo- even if we want to talk football, like that's great. I still don't think even if even if tomorrow, if you plopped us into the the ACC tomorrow, Cincinnati's probably still not that school 
that's like all of a sudden you're a top 15 national program for the rest of your life. There's still a lot of work to be done to keep, want to keep players and coaches coming here. So it's still going to be an uphill battle. It's the, it's the never ending cycle of you have to spend more money. And that's the whole argument behind college to athletics as it is being this, you know, entity that just spends, 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 but all of a sudden you have nothing left over for the players. So like, yeah, we can keep going down this rat, you know, playing the rat race, which I'm glad that we we do to an extent, but I do think you have to be, keeping in mind what's more important. I know a lot of people said, well, we got to expand this. I've literally heard this argument already that someone said, well, you need to expand the stadium if we want to get into to a bigger conference. No, we don't. <laughs> no, we don't. We've already done that. We literally did do that. The part of the deal to get into the big East was to have a bigger stadium, that whole concrete upper con- concourse at not the press box result of getting into the big East conference, us wanting to get into a new conference, that whole fancy new piece with the press box, part of our thing to get into a new conference. Um, indoor practice facility, same thing. Part of trying to get into a conference, like that's that's all that's that's what that stuff is. They're looking at other things when it comes to conference realignment. They're looking at the size of our endowment. They're looking at what kind of institution are we? For instance, go to the Pac-12 schools and look at what they a lot of them have in common is their research institutions. Ivy League is the same thing. They're the reason why they're Ivy League schools because they're all about the academics. Like that's what they're about, right? That's one of the reasons that Notre Dame is also kind of against joining a conference is because they don't. Like they see that there's money and don't get me wrong. They're not idiots when it comes to that. They have their own brand, but it doesn't mesh well. Like you get, so they're looking at all that stuff. Geography is a big portion of it because at the end of the day, we were, and you can't see this, but I'm holding my fingers up really close together, this close to being in the American or the uh, Atlantic Coast Conference, the ACC. We went three rounds of voting. Two rounds tied with Louisville, lost the third round by one vote. That's what got Louisville in and not over us. We lost because Louisville cheated and spent money on hookers for their basketball players to win national championships. They, they, we lost because they had a higher brand profile at the time. They lost because they had a we lost because they had Adidas paying pairs, playing players. It's a dirty business. It's a dirty business. We have the University of Cincinnati does nothing, nothing that we should be hanging our heads down and saying that we're an inferior university from that perspective. We have all the ingredients to join a big conference today. You can put us in the middle of a conference today and our facilities are going to stack up just as well as any of those big schools, except maybe I've seen some of the NFL style locker room. So yeah. And if this one I'm looking at of our locker room, it is pretty pathetic, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't actually, I'm trying to Google what our actual <laughs> locker room looks like. And but my point is our facilities as a whole match up, stack up really great against them. These other programs in these bigger conferences, you know, so I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about having to go and put, you know, line everything in gold. We can just keep doing what we're doing. That was such, hang on, go, go clap for Hummer. <laughs> just an incredible rant and i found it compelling honestly because it was a reminder that all of this none of this actually when i think in, i'm thinking of everything for football in terms of how do we hang on to one of the best coaches in college football and these updates and and the money stuff like it is really all distracting us from the fact that all that really matters is getting into a big time conference is into a power conference and if that happens 
we're going to hold on to the best coaches or, or in this case, Luke Fickle, because he's going to have the ability to do what he really wants to do, which is compete for an opportunity to play for the national championship in the college football playoff. But the way you're building and building and building and going up the hill, up the hill, up the hill, they were so close to a, to a climax and you come out with, uh, Oh, uh, the locker room. we could stack up against anybody. Anybody's facilities look like ours, our stack up. And then womp, womp, our locker room does kind of look like shit. <laughs> I'm trying to Google it. I'm not going to lie. And the first one that comes up is a YouTube video. I have no idea how old it is. I didn't click on it. I have no clue. I see the baseball locker room looks like a typical like ba- baseball locker room. Like if you, you know, if you see any of the press conferences after MLB games, looks dead on it. Just a, a room with a bunch of wooden lockers where their jerseys hang. The football one is like, like I said, I don't know how old this is, but it's just like a white with drop tile, <laughs> drop tile scenes and, and, and I don't know the, the, the long neon fluorescent tube lights, uh, white fold up tables in the center. So, all right, if that's what it is, look, great. Spend $4 million and put some new cabinets on the thing. I don't think it matters. It's a structurally sound building. Just make the, make them actually just look nicer. Great. I'm okay with spending less money. If you can still make it look just as, just as pretty. You've, you've convinced me to, to allow in this case, like, look, I'm not going to, we're not going after Cunningham or the athletic department. It's okay for the Bearcats to operate as we've been operating, which is sort of the, the fast, nimble. We're going to find ways to be more efficient. We're going to get more bang for our buck. We've been doing that for, for over a decade now. Um, and we have to do it, frankly, like we have to do that to compete with the big boys and we've done it successfully. Uh, you've convinced me to lean more in that direction, though. I do think it is imperative that that Cunningham try and leverage what should be a much stronger financial position based on the alumni base. I think we have access to like we, you know, reach out to the, to the big boys. I I'm sure I don't know them all, but there's a few guys that come to mind, the Kelsey family, uh, you know, reach out to the Martin family, reach out to the Hummer family, like reach out to the, the true empires, Bearcat royalty for the financing and funding we need to take this football team to the next level. Uh, we got to be careful though, don't we? Like uh, some reason, we c- there's somehow we could get classified as boosters or something. Well, you got to be know. careful. I, I'm not. I am not in jeopardy of being called a booster. Uh, Apparently, you don't have to donate. <laughs> you don't have to donate much to become a booster. Uh, I, I heard like something. There's a reason why Chad doesn't have season tickets, if I'm not mistaken, because uh, it makes it makes you a booster. The way the way you buy tickets is technically a donation, and so you can become a booster. And so then, I don't know. I don't know the rules, but. Long story short, we actually already do donate a small amount of yeah, money. Yeah, so become a the boost. school of nursing to the school of nursing. <laughs> That's where my wife graduated from, school of nursing. Anyway, I thought it was at least worth mentioning. I thought it was an interesting article. It is interesting to think about, you know, what it might mean beyond the update itself. I don't think that the, like, I think what Cunningham said is probably largely true. Like, it sounds like they're just not doing as dramatic of a structural enhancement, and they're just going to clean the place up put some nice uh, new paint on the walls and make it look good. It's just, I guess it's 4 million bucks. We'll see where it takes them. Hopefully it's not a killer. I think at the end of the day, what matters more than anything else is that Cunningham, if Cunningham will go down an absolute legend, if he is the athletic director that takes us into the ACC or takes us into the big 12 or takes us into any other new fancy conference that's made up in the future, that's going to get us consideration, true consideration, 
for the college football playoff. Um, otherwise, all of all of it, all the other stuff, all the other conversations, it's just window dressing. Like it's just it's just passing the time with with debates and and nitpicking because that's not the thing that truly truly matters. Well said. I, if I go no, I don't think it's well said. I think you were the one. It was very well said on your part. I appreciate your passion. I appreciate you petering out the way you did because it gave me a a wonderful laugh. Hummer, let's leave it there, buddy. Um, I will get this thing edited up and we will release it to the masses. I don't know. I'm not even going to put show notes on this one. Honestly, it was <laughs> this one just was very free flowing as Bill Simmons used to describe his podcasts. Cheers, buddy. Cheers.